Great. Thanks, Joe. Um, we'll come back to you shortly. But before that, I want to interview David and Hannah Donigani. Um, David's not married to Hannah. That's his daughter. But uh, Jan is looking after the two children we'll be we'll be talking about later on. So she wasn't able to join us. But it's great to have Hannah. So we're going to um, sort of scrutinize the story from a father's point of view and from a sibling, sister's point of view. Uh, so it's great to have them each event like this. Um, we're going to be interviewing somebody. So next week, John Lennox. The week after, we're going to have somebody who's at the forefront of the um, the coronavirus um, battle in, in, in the NHS. The week after that, Robbie Hall, who, amazing, was um, was trapped below a submarine when he was trying to detach a bomb from the submarine and um, looked as though he was going to uh, die. As a non-believer, he cried out to God. And we'll see what happens. But he's recently been diagnosed with cancer. So it's a very moving story from uh, Robbie Hall in three weeks. And, 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 and we'll tell you more as we go on. But Dave and Hannah, um, it's really good to have you with us. And uh, let me start with you, David, by just asking, just tell us a little bit about where you're from, how you grew up, a bit about your background, etc. Well, hi, Roger. It's uh, nice to be here with you. Thank you for having me tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm in Loughborough. I'm in the heart of the country rather than the far north like yourself. Um, but I grew up, uh, grew up down south near London. Um, and um, what do I do? Look after Amy and Daniel. We're going to hear about um, I do a little bit of work as well. I'm an engineer um, and involved in all sorts of things. And uh, nice to be here with, with you this evening and look Great. forward to it. Um, Thank you. And Hannah, um, I think you'll be there as well. Hannah, you're their daughter. Uh, what do you do for a living? Where do you live? Hello. Nice to be with you all this evening. Oh, we love so... the bunting in the background. That's great. Hopefully <laughs> yes. a bit cheery. Yes. Yeah, so I live in Loughborough as well, just around the corner from mum and dad. And I'm a children's physio in the NHS. So I do that part time. And then I do some things with church part time and help care for Amy and Daniel as well. All right. And are you on the front line of the coronavirus battle at the moment or not? No. So um, we look after children with disabilities and their needs are ongoing. So we're carrying on um, looking after them and doing lots of video calls and telephone calls instead of seeing them in person at the moment. So not on the coronavirus front line. OK. Now, David, I know your home background. You weren't brought up in a particularly Christian home. Just tell us about your background there, please. Yes, well, I, I grew up, as I say, down south. Um, as a youngster, I was, well, I was sent along to Sunday school to the church across the road, probably like many people of my sort of generation. So I went along to Sunday school, but wasn't particularly interested in it. Um, and uh, then at the age of eight, uh, quite interesting, um, we moved overseas. My father was working over the sea, overseas. So I went off to a boarding school and um, then uh, lived in Tunisia in North Africa for four years. So I was at school in term time and then would spend four weeks at Christmas, four weeks at Easter and eight weeks in the summer on the Mediterranean, which was uh, very pleasant. Um, from there, we moved over to the States for a few years, um, which was very different than Tunisia. Um, and then uh, back over back here when I was 15. And I think it was when you were at boarding school, you became a Christian, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, it was after that, at okay. boarding school. Yeah, while I was at school, we used to have to go to sort of morning assemblies and we used to have to go to um, uh, Sunday services sometimes in the church in town. And I, I just wasn't interested. Um, you know, I just wanted it to be as short as possible. I wasn't interested. Um, and, um, you know, that was my school days, really. OK, so where did you become a Christian? 
Well, what happened after that? I went off to university up in Leicester, just uh, down the road from where I live now in Loughborough, and um, went to university. And it was there that I was first really challenged to think about uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Uh, as I said, I'd heard about him at Sunday school. And well, I do remember just thinking a little bit about it then, but not much. But as I say, I went off to university, my first year at university. I didn't really enjoy my first term. Um just at school, I'd known everyone. You knew who you could trust. You knew who you couldn't trust. You knew who your mates were and so on. But when I got to university, it was all very different. Um, and uh, I found it quite hard the first term. Um, but I did meet Christians during that first term there. And I thought there's something very different about these people. There's something genuine about them. They seem to have something which I would say I didn't have. And then it was really through talking with them and they invited me along to one or two things as well that I first heard uh, or I really began to think about who is this Jesus? Um, we've all heard of him and I'd certainly heard of him, but I didn't really know much about him and uh, really started to consider the claims that Jesus made, that he was God become a man, that he had come uh, to this world for uh, people like me. Um, uh, and that, you know, he was a, a character of history, um, and, uh, you know, all it says about him in the Bible was true, that he lived, but then that he died, and we know we've just had Easter recently, uh, died a cruel death upon a Roman cross, and actually when he died there, I, I came to understand that he had gone to that cross for the wrong that I had done, and I knew that I'd done wrong, uh, the wrong that I'd done, not just to others, but before God, and that he had taken the punishment that I deserved and that I could be forgiven. And, and I came face to face with this, as it were, and 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 really uh, came to the point where I thought, I've got to do something with this. I can either run away from this and live my life in my way or respond to God's love for me in Jesus, who died on the cross and risen from the dead um, uh, and uh well, that's what I did, responded to that. that Great. Part. So that was a uh, first term or second term of university? Yeah, just after Christmas. And I, I know when it was, January the 25th, 1979. And I know that because it's the day after my birthday. So I always remember I have two birthdays. One, <laughs> when I just turned uh, 60. Anyway, you don't want to know that. No, we the don't. Other one. I'm going to go over to Hannah. Yeah, Hannah, okay. Now, your dad married a Christian lady. She too, I think, became a Christian at university, didn't she? did yes and uh, she's a doctor uh, so you were brought up in a christian home okay what what was that like yeah so i'm really thankful for growing up in a christian home with um parents who introduced me to church at about a week old and i grew up going to church <laughs> each week um and learning about jesus and i'm really thankful that i can't remember a time where i didn't love jesus um and i love to learn about him um to hear about him and I'm really thankful that <clears throat> when I was about four years old, um, I came to know Jesus for myself. Um, so I'd learned that just because my parents were Christians, that didn't make me a Christian, but that Jesus had come. He died on the cross for me as well. And I could know him personally as my friend and my savior. And so I clearly remember a time when I was four years old, when I sat down and I prayed and I asked Jesus to become my savior and to become my friend. And even though I didn't really understand very much at all at the age of four, 
um, I know that that was the point that I became a Christian. Mm. And then just as I grew up in age and learned more about things, I grew up and learned more about Jesus as I got older. But I think it was particularly when I went to university that I came to understand the good news about Jesus even more. And I particularly remember one time on a student weekend away, I was really thankful for a really good group of friends who were students who um, we had a great time together and um, they were a great encouragement to me. And being on a camp away with them, um, with church and just learning more about God's grace and his goodness in sending Jesus to die on the cross when that was completely undeserved um, by us. And God's grace struck me um, in a way that I'd never understood it before. Um, and I felt like I'd almost become a Christian all over again. I knew that mm. I had become a Christian when I was four, but it was understanding God's goodness and his grace in Jesus at that point um, mm. when I was a Christian and uh, when I was a student. And since then, I've continued learning more of his grace day by day. Great. Thank you. Now, look, um, I want to come back to you, Hannah, in a moment, because you've got another childhood memory and it concerns the time when your parents first realised there was something radically wrong um, to begin with, with your, your sister, Amy. How did this come about, David? Yeah, well, I'll tell you about that. Let, let me just show a picture of Jan first, because some people are thinking, why is it me and Hannah and um, not Jan? Uh, there's my lovely wife, Jan. Um, that's before lockdown. Uh, her hair's about three feet longer now. Uh, <laughs> like, no, it's not. But um, you're not like Columbo, who refers <laughs> to his wife, but we never see her. So now we've seen her. <laughs> yeah, there she is, and um, she's busy tonight. Um, we're looking after Amy and Daniel at home. Yeah, and it's not straightforward. She's not out there getting her to bed, their medications and so on. So she's not able to be with us tonight. So that's, that's yeah. So go on. So how did you hear about? Yes, yeah, right. Okay. Well, yes, we. Um, so we have four children. Uh, Hannah's our eldest. She came older. She came along first and then the others kept coming. So at one time we had four children under the age of five and uh, things were fairly lively, as you can well imagine. And then it was a few years later when we thought there's something not quite right with Amy. Uh, she's the second one, uh, our daughter, um, second daughter. And um, we she'd had ear problems. Um and, uh, yeah, things didn't seem quite right. We referred to a paediatrician. Um, we had all sorts of tests. I remember going to the hospital for the day um, for all sorts of tests and so on. And then eventually, and I can remember the day, um, eventually we sat in a consulting room and we were told that Amy, our second daughter, had a, a very rare genetic condition, which probably meant she would only live into her teenage years. And not only was it Amy, our second uh, daughter, but also uh, Dan, our youngest son, two boys, Josh and Dan, Daniel. And uh, so that was the day we sat in the consulting room and just had to come to terms with the fact that... That's a devastating thing to hear. How did it impact you? It was, it was, it was devastating. I think we went into shock. Um, I think Jan would say that she probably went through it before that diagnosis. She thought the thing's not right here and found that very difficult. And there was a sort of numbness. Um, and just to think that they're not going to live 
you know, they're not going to live for long. And that was, yeah, that was pretty tough. Um, mm. to just for the medics who may be listening, what, what is this genetic condition? Yeah, it's a rare, rare genetic condition goes under an MP, the name of MPS, which some of you might have heard of, mucopolysaccharide. It's a rare condition called San Filippo syndrome. And at that time, have that. Uh, yeah, at that time, there are about 200 children in the country with, um, San Filippo. Mm, okay. One of the things as well, um, yeah, really it's, summarize it with, put like this to us. Three stages, five years that look like normal development, um, five years where they sort of level off, um, and then five years where they lose the skills that they have and, um, with a life expectancy, uh, you know, degenerate basically and with a life expectancy <coughs> of, well, about 15 years. I'm going to come back to you, Dave, but Hannah, you were a little girl when you heard this. Now, you remember what happened when you were four. How old were you when you heard about this and what was your reaction? Yeah, so I was seven years old when Amy and Daniel were diagnosed. And I don't think I really understood at all what was going on. My memory of that time in the hospital was just that we all had a great day out at the hospital playing in the amazing playroom. Um, that's my memory of that day. But then I uh, have one other particular memory of that time, which must have been a couple of days after uh, mum and dad received the diagnosis, I was at school and leaning up against the, the wall outside in the playground with my friend. And my friend said to me, oh, my mum told me about your brother and sister and, and how they won't live past 18 years old. I'm really sorry about that. And I said to my friend, oh, you don't need to be sorry about that. That's ages away. Um, <laughs> so I think, at, yeah, at that age of seven, I didn't understand at all mm. yeah, the impact of of what that meant it was only as I grew older that I understood more of what what that impact was so Dave um you're a Christian you love the Lord your wife Jan is a Christian you know no doubt you prayed about your little children and then you hear this news were you angry with God no I've never felt that anger um just for that let me just put a little picture of them up just so get just put some context Picture on the top left there, that's Amy and Daniel when they were younger, when they were mobile, they were mischievous, they were fun. Um, one on the right, that was Amy's 21st birthday, I think, if I remember <laughs> correctly, with Hannah. Um, and then at the bottom, Dan and Amy, just in the last couple of years where they are up during the day, but they're totally dependent and just need uh, looking after all so the time. They need to be fed and um cleaned and all the rest that you need you have to do everything for them absolutely yes they've got feeding tube and everything has to be done for for them they don't but, have any understanding yeah, but, yeah. Not, did you not even ask god why why us why has this happened to us i suppose that thought did go through our minds um why but never in a very strong way as it were um yeah yeah we did ask the question but in, in, we felt the Lord's help in accepting that, as it were. We didn't understand it. Did you ever wonder, is God punishing us for something? No, no, that thought didn't go through. No, that thought didn't go through our minds. That could be the answer, though. Sorry? You think that could be the reason? Um, no, uh, I don't think that is the case. I think that... Um, I think we have to recognise that we live in a broken world. Um, I think we've all become very acutely aware of that in the recent days. Mm. Um, 
uh, with the coronavirus and just all our lives have been totally changed. Who would have imagined I'd be sitting here talking to a computer or a camera <laughs> on a computer on a Saturday night? Our lives have been totally changed. And but it's all a consequence of a broken world. We look around us and we see broken lives, whether it's what we experience ourselves, whether it's whether it's what we see and what people do to other people or whether it's in the calamities and the things that happen. Um, the Bible teaches us it's all a consequence of a broken world because of well, because of our sin as you know, because of us as. Yeah, Dave, that's that's great. To, you know, you accept that um, in your in your mind, in your brain. But day by day by day, for what many decades now, your life has been dominated by looking after your children. Are there, are there been times when you thought, I've just had enough. I, I understand I live, live in a broken world, but this is too much for me to bear. There have been some there have been some very tough days and tough times and tough stages as well. I think at the beginning of each year, um, just uh, uh, not so much in the last few years, but each year, especially when Amy got to 15, because that's the average life expectancy with children with air condition. I thought, is this it? And that was that was a hard year. And then at the beginning of each year, it often goes through my mind that will this be the last? Um, and yes, that's hard. And there's been particularly hard times when they suffer to some extent, which they have just identifying with that so yes yes it's been hard but there's been some great days and exciting days we have so much to be thankful for uh, as well um mm. and I, I, I often say a phrase i often use is life is tough but god is good and that's and our experience that over the years yeah um hannah it must have uh you know it's one thing to to take it lightly when you're seven or eight years of age but as a teenager and now as a uh uh, 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 you know, a mature person. Are there times when, when you look and think this is horrendous for not only my parents, but for my brother and for me as well? Yeah, I think there's a strange mixture in that, in one sense, this is all I've ever known. I've grown up with Amy and Daniel having San Filippo. Um, and, um, that in one sense is normality, but at, on the other side of that, there's times where just seeing Amy and Daniel and the suffering that they experience and just the the limitations, I guess, of things that does put on things we can do as a family together. Um, that's hard sometimes. And I think I echo what dad said a minute ago as well. There's, there's those questions at the beginning of the year. What if it's this year? I think sometimes I found particularly hard when I had to go away. So growing up, I was at home every day with Amy and Daniel every day, enjoying every day with them. But I particularly found going away to university. I went to university in Southampton, which was a long way away, and I wasn't going to be coming back for a while. I found that particularly hard. And then I went away to study in Belfast as well. Again, being away was particularly hard. Um, and their questions there. But I would say that in all of the, the tough times and thinking of the really tough times, each time I found that God's love, his help, his comfort went even deeper than the deepest sorrow I felt or um yeah the hardest times and and that's been really precious to have that joy that goes deeper than the pain and um comfort that goes deeper than all the sorrow and i've i'm really thankful to have um experienced that and experienced god's goodness uh to me and to our family in that way so yeah i wouldn't um it's been really tough but god's been really good 
Hannah, if I was to be devil's advocate for a moment and say, well, it's nice to say you found God's comfort, but isn't this just a crutch to lean on? How, because people must have suggested that to you in the past. How would you respond? I'd say that my experience is that I've experienced the realities of God's goodness. And I think if it was just a crutch to lean on, it would have crumbled under the weight of the, the difficulties, the, the things that have come um, again and again. And, um, you know, when you've experienced something that's real um, and that real joy I felt like that's not a joy you can just um, magic up or imagine um, that is a, a true joy from God. Um, the Bible, um, I believe, is God's word. And I found so many comforting promises in God's word. And he's promised that in his word. And then I've experienced that in my life. Those two things have matched up together um, mm. again, saying that's not just a, a crutch to lean on, but a truth and a, a real hope that I hold on to. Mm. Uh, David, you mentioned um, when you've seen Daniel and Amy suffer, are they conscious of their struggles at the moment of their situation or has that moved on they've never they've never uh, had any they've never had any understanding of the fact that there's anything wrong with them when they were younger they, they were mobile they could put a few words together um uh, they, they they could respond but you could never have that level of conversation such that they understood the seriousness of things. Um, you, you can never explain that to them. So no, they haven't had that. Um, a lot of the time they are content. Um, well, uh, yeah, content. Um, although Daniel these days, he can have very distressed days. Um, and is that physical pain, do you think, or what is it? It's difficult to know what it is. Um, it's on various medications. Um, it's probably, his muscles get very tight and he gets very unsettled and seems to get agitated and it's difficult to know what that is. And that's, that's hard to see him like that. Mm. Um, other days, um, when I was downstairs earlier, he was in bed. He was, went and had a little chat with him. And, um, when you say chat, he didn't respond. No, that's right. But I just went, went to see him and he was content and, uh, yeah, looking at me. Um, but no, no level of understanding and response. Mm. How old are they now? Uh, that's a difficult question. Um, Amy is 30, I think. She's 31 in June. So lived well beyond her, mm. uh, the ex- life expectancy that we, we had in those early years. And Dan is 27 and nearly 28. Is that right, Hannah? Have I got that right? Well, well now, Hannah, yeah. I really would like you to put your fingers in your ears. At this <laughs> I'm going to ask something very personal. <laughs> Clearly, you know, this is going out. Anybody could. We don't know who's listening. But, David, we've heard that because of the coronavirus, people living in confined situations, domestic violence has gone up. And it's one of the sad sort of um, spin offs of this whole pandemic. But suffering such as you've had can lead to difficulties and it can lead to difficulties in a marriage. Has has this drawn you and Jan closer together or has it been a point of friction over the years? It's, um, yeah, yeah, I have a, a wonderful wife and very thankful for her. And yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's both in some ways, you know, there are some difficult times, but actually, you know, we have a deep, there's a deep joy that we have together. Um, 
which we've experienced. And uh, I would say that, you know, the fact that that we're right with God, that we know that we're his, we know that he he works in these things. We know that he's good and gracious and kind. So the joy that we've known has been, um, you know, been great. Yeah, it's not always been easy, but there's a deep joy um, that we have. Mm. Um, Hannah, you, you talked about you, each new year and your father did as well, that you wonder, will will this be the year when they pass away? How have you thought through how you would react if one of them was to die? Well, which, you know, we all will. We know that. But uh, but they're still quite young. Yeah, I think occasionally I think about that. And then that thought is too scary that I push it out my mind and don't think about it anymore. I think one thing that Amy and Daniel have really taught me is about living life in the present and really enjoying the moment. I think back to when I was a child, a particular time, mum said to me, oh, go and play with Daniel now and make a memory of this. Um, to enjoy this particular time. And I think that's something that's stuck with me my whole life. And I've been very conscious of thinking rather than looking at the present and thinking, oh, I wish I was back two years ago because things were better then. Thinking about, oh, someday I'm going to look back on today and wish I was back today. So to enjoy the good things I have now. And so I think, yeah, the future is scary. I don't like to think about it. And one thing I've learned as well is that in the tough times, God has given the grace and the comfort at the time I've needed it um, rather than kind of knowing about it in advance and preparing for it in a way. And so I know that I can trust God that when that day comes, um, he will give the grace um, to be able to. I don't I don't know the word, but to, to keep holding on to him during that time. And the Bible has so many promises about there's even better to come and those promises as well keep me holding on and keep me going so I guess in answer to your question I have momentarily thought about it but pushed it away to to deal with when it comes and concentrated on enjoying the present and just quickly how uh, apart from just your your thinking and your ideas how do you think having a sister and brother in this situation has I don't know impacted you your personality your your I don't know the the um uh, the, the desires you have for um, using your life, how, how has it impacted you, do you think? I think Amy and Daniel have taught me so much about the value of every person and particularly those who maybe are seen by society as having less value. People who don't have a voice, people who aren't able to express their thoughts and who they are. I think growing up with Amy and Daniel led me to want to become a children's physiotherapist and be able to help other children and other families in a similar situation. I think having experienced some really tough times in life and knowing the joy that God's given during those times, that's made me want to be able to to try and share that with others as well, others who are going through tough times so that they might know the joy and the comfort that I've known and has helped me um, through Jesus. So I think Amy and Daniel have taught me a lot in this um, experiencing, um, yeah, all the different things I've experienced has has grown me into the person that I am and directed the mm. things that God's put on my heart to do. So, 
Yeah, uh, I think God hasn't wasted all that you've gone through at all. He's used it. Mm. Um, David, uh, this is really sensitive. I'm sorry. You'll probably fire me as a questioner later on. But but um, the Bible speaks and Jesus spoke specifically about both heaven and hell. And um, I often think there's more about heaven and hell taught by Jesus than anybody else in the scripture. It's almost as if God. Uh, kept it for only Jesus to speak about because it's such a sensitive subject. But he did speak of heaven and he warned about hell. Now, um, you must have thought what happens to Amy and Daniel when they die. Uh, but probably they haven't got the mental ability to understand the gospel and weigh up these issues. What what, what thoughts have you come to? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a very important question. And yes, given a lot of thought to that over the years. Um, for all of us here who are, you know, for me speaking, for those of us who are here listening, um, we have got the ability to understand and consider what Jesus has done and how we respond to him. And, and mm. we have to we, we have to respond to that because one day we will st- we will all stand before him. But for Amy and Daniel, um, they c- don't have that understanding uh, the Bible teaches that God is good and gracious and compassionate and I do believe they will be in heaven, not because not because they were born without sin, because, you know, not because they were born perfect, as it were, because we all have that nature, that bent within us that wants to do wrong. But I believe they will be in heaven because of because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Um, there's a verse in the Bible I go to as well, or an incident in the Bible in the Old Testament where David, um, king of Israel, through through what well, is sin with Bathsheba, uh, a wrong relationship, a child was born and the child only lived for seven days. And David, um, in those seven days, he, he, he was uh, broken, uh, wanting this child to survive. But the child didn't. And afterwards, he says this, he says, he says, he will not come to be with me, but I will go to be with him. And. Uh, that verse particularly, I find very helpful. Um, it's God is speaking through his word and through David, um, speaking of that hope. Um, um, so I believe they will be in heaven. Um, but again, I, I believe that it's because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. He has dealt with sin. Um, but for those of us who understand, we need to uh, we are sinful and we do wrong things, we need to confess those things, we need to turn from those, we need to trust in Christ. Um, so, yes, I believe they will be in heaven. OK, thanks. Last question uh, to Hannah. Hannah, you're working with children with disability, etc. And again, you must see some um, sites which are heartrending at times. Do, do you ask yourself, God, why are you allowing so much suffering? You come home and you see something, you go to work and you see it. And now, of course, all around us on the news, etc. day by day, we're seeing it not only in the UK, but in countries where they've got much fewer aids and helps than even we have. So uh, do, you, do you wonder why? Why doesn't God just intervene and stop all this? I guess. I don't necessarily ask why, but it does drive me to to pray and to to pray that he would alleviate that suffering, to pray ultimately that Jesus would come back and put an end to that suffering. The Bible says that Jesus will come back one day. And um, it talks about for those that are trusting in Jesus, there's these wonderful verses that say he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more suffering, no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And all the old order of things 
death, dying, San Filippo, all those things will be gone. Um, there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. Amy and Daniel will have bodies that are restored again to um, how they were designed to be. And so I think seeing the suffering drives me to long that Jesus would come back and to look forward to that and to, yeah, to pray that he would help me as a physio to play a little part in relieving some of that suffering physically in the way that I work and um, through caring for Amy and Daniel um, and to to pray for opportunities to to talk about Jesus who can bring hope in that suffering at present. That's great. Dave and Hannah, thank you very, very much. It's it's a privilege to have Joe. He's a real good friend. And uh, I love listening to Joe, who's just going to try and draw things to a close and explain the Christian message. And then we'll come on to the question. So, Joe, in Lancashire, uh, over to you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, as I said earlier, we're going to look at Psalm uh, 23 now. And I'd really like to sort of break it up into three little chunks. So the first chunk is uh, we're going to think about valleys. The second chunk is mountains. And the third and final chunk are shepherds. So we're going to work backwards through the psalm. As Roger said, I'm from Lancashire. We like to do things backwards here. So uh, let's work through it. So firstly, uh, valleys. Look at verse four with me if you've got it in front of you. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, can I ask you all a a very personal question? Perhaps when you've been hearing this story from David and Hannah, maybe some thoughts in your own life of pain and suffering have come to your own minds. So just everyone now, do it in your own minds. Think, when was a time in my life where I really did suffer? When was there a period of time that I really struggled? I suppose what I'm asking you is, have you ever been in a dark valley? Perhaps you might be thinking, well, Joe, to be honest with you, I'm in one now. I'm really struggling at the moment. I do think that the coronavirus has really brought death and pain and suffering and these sort of deep philosophical questions right to the very forefront of our minds. I remember right at the beginning, actually, before it all kicked off, my mother-in-law rang us. And when my mother-in-law rings, you sort of think, oh, what's what's going to happen next? But she, we were talking about the coronavirus and she said very seriously, she said, I think we'll know at least three people who will die from this. Friends, family members. And here we are. I was sitting there. and I was thinking, no, that's that's not that's never going to happen, Jill. There's no way that'll happen. But here we are today. And I know of five people, friends and acquaintances who've sadly passed away because of COVID-19. And one of them was my best friend's girlfriend, who was just 26 years old. Now, I do think uh, when we've sort of come to imagine we're at New Year's Eve now and someone approaches us and says, you know, in 2020, all of the schools are going to be shut down. No one's going to be allowed out of their houses. Unemployment's going to rise and you will lose loved ones. If someone approached you on New Year's Eve this last year and said that to you, you'd think, no, you're crazy. There's no way that'll happen. But it has, hasn't it? So where do we turn when tragedy comes right to our front door? Well, I'd like to gently lead you to someone who was called the man of sorrows, who was acquainted with grief. Who am I talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he really did walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He knew what suffering was. He was poor. It says in the Bible that he was so poor that they didn't he didn't have a place to lay his head at night. 
He himself lost loved ones. There was a time when uh, Jesus, he lost a friend called Lazarus and he stood by his tomb. And those two precious words, the shortest verse in the Bible, it says this, Jesus wept. And then perhaps most poignant of all, Jesus Christ himself, the son of God, died on a cross for you and me. But there is something different about this story. He died. They, they took his body off the cross and then he was laid in a tomb. And one day went by stillness. Two days went by stillness. But what happened on the third day? Jesus Christ rose from the dead, triumphant over the grave. And that's why I'd like to say to you, if you're struggling, if you're walking through a dark valley, I'd like to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's conquered the grave, the one who can take your hand and lead us through the most uncertain times, the most difficult times, because he's conquered death itself. Okay. secondly, mountains. Look at verse three with me now. It says he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you notice how it says he? It's not another. It's only he who can restore our soul. Now, there's one thing I passionately believe more than anything, and it's that our hearts were designed to worship. Come to me. Uh, come with me now to the Lake District, just on the tip of Lancashire. And we look out and we see all of these these vast mountains, these beautiful mountains. Have you ever done that before? Stand on the side of a mountain or, or maybe on a beach shore or maybe you've looked up at the, the sky and seen a, a lovely starry night, a lovely starry night. And you sort of feel very, very small and everything feels really big. It feels kind of amazing, doesn't it? To feel so small, so insignificant. Why is that? Because we were designed for a God who is so big that the universe cannot contain him. Now, imagine now I, I don't, but imagine I've got some kind of superpower. OK, and I could uh, give you anything you wanted. Imagine that I could make you the king of the universe. I could make you the queen of the universe. What would you want in your life? What would you ask for? What would it be that that would satisfy you more than anything? When I was 18 years old, I really went on a, a quest looking for satisfaction. I really wanted to, to find what happiness was. Uh, and the best way I can describe it is my heart was like a, a bucket of water with holes in it. And I kept trying to top it up with, with pleasures, with uh, money, with success, with parties, with alcohol. But they just kept seeping out of the bottom. None of it fulfilled. Why was that? Because they were all temporary. But when I became a Christian, when I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me, to wash me whiter than snow, when I put my trust in him, suddenly that bucket got a solid base to it. And I knew what true peace was. I knew what true fulfillment was. And I do think this lockdown sort of brought things to our minds a bit more where, you know, suddenly we don't have the same pleasures that we once had. Suddenly we don't have the same freedom. And when everything is stripped away, are you satisfied with your life? Because I would like to point you to the Lord Jesus who said this once. Jesus said, anyone who drinks of the water that I give them will never thirst again because it is the water which wells up to eternal life. So tonight, this very night, would you let the Lord Jesus Christ come into your life and restore you, refresh you, give you that peace and know that your sins are forgiven? OK, thirdly and finally, shepherds. OK, look at verse one. I said I was going to work backwards. Here we are at the beginning of the psalm. It says, 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, for us to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd, what must you and I first realise? What must you and I first become? Sheep. And sheep are are kind of sweet creatures, aren't they? They're, They're quite lovely, really. But at the same time, they are known for being a little bit slow, a little bit silly. They, they wander off. And the fact is this, guys, without a shepherd, the sheep simply would not survive. So here's the big question that I suppose I've been trying to drive home in this short message. How do we make the Lord Jesus Christ our shepherd? How does he become our shepherd? Well, here's how it works. Now, believe it or not, uh, I'm actually a married man. Now, looking at you right now, here's a man who's married. Do you think that this man in front of you has ever made his wife cry before? What do you think? Nod your head if you think I've ever made my wife cry before. I have, actually. You see these eyes now. Imagine that everything I've seen in my life was put on the device you're looking at, on the screen you're looking at. Everything I've seen was in front of you now. Do you think I'd be embarrassed? Do you think I'd be ashamed of anything I've ever looked at? I would, actually. You see these fists here. Now, you can't see my full body, but I assure you, I'm quite a dweeb, really. But do you think that these fists have ever hit anyone before? What do you think? They have. But now ask me this question. Am I going to heaven? I am. Not because I'm a good person. As you can see, I'm actually not really a nice person at all. But because there are two types of people who get to heaven. Perfect people and forgiven people. Now, is there anyone who's tuned into Zoom tonight who's perfect? Well, not are we, but every single one of us can be forgiven. Why? Because the Son of God hung on a cross for sinners. You know, they spat on him. You know, they smashed a crown of thorns into his skull. You know, they plucked out his beard. They beat him. They they lacerated his back and they put nails through his hands and his feet. He was stripped naked and he died there in front of his own mother. Now, I can think of many ways I'd like to die, but but that is certainly not one of them. But that wasn't the worst bit. The worst bit wasn't what we see in the paintings or perhaps we've seen in the movies. The worst bit was it says in the Bible between the sixth and the ninth hour, darkness fell on the land. And between those three hours, Jesus cried with a loud voice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those moments, God poured out all of his wrath all of his anger, all of his judgment on innocent Jesus for all the wrong things that you and I have done. All the sins we've committed were laid on Jesus Christ and he was punished on that cross. Roger actually put it like this. He said, it's almost as if God the Father rolled up his sleeves and he reached into every single person's heart and pulled out all of the muck, all of the grime, all of the sin, and then rolled it up into a ball and embedded it on Jesus Christ. And on the cross, Jesus was crushed and took the punishment for our sins. You see, the worst of you was laid on Jesus Christ and the best of him can be given to you, received as a gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. It's freely given as a gift. So what am I going to ask you to do next? Will you do it? Will you put your trust in the son of God who bled and died on a cross for you, who loved you when you when he was on the cross? You were on his mind and he wants you in heaven with him. So will you come? Will you put your trust in him? Let me leave you with one final thought. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone here today uh, who's a little bit cultured and you've ever been to an after dinner speech before. 
You don't look particularly cultured from what I can see on the screen, but here we go. And uh, there was once an after dinner speech that was going on and there was a, a Shakespeare actor who'd been booked to speak at it. And he said, does anyone have any more requests for me? I've got time for just one more request, just one more request. And this old 80 year old doddering minister stood up at this point and said, um, yes, I've got a request. Do you know Psalm 23? And the actor said, yes, I do know it. Would you mind reciting it for us all? And the actor said, yes, I will. But under one condition, after I recite Psalm 23, you, Mr. Minister, you also must recite Psalm 23. So uh, away went the actor and he stood up and he, he had lots of colour, lots of diction, lots of charisma. When he finished, everyone stood up and gave him a standing ovation. And then he looked out into the crowd and he found that doddering minister. And he sort of gave him a wink. It's your turn now. And the minister stood up. He needed a chair to sort of steady himself. And he stammered and stuttered his way through Psalm 23. When he finished, the sound of clapping wasn't heard, but the sound of weeping was. And when everything had died down, the actor stood up again and he said this. Now do you see why I asked the minister to go after me? I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. My dear friends, do you know the shepherd? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord Jesus Christ once said this, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this very night in the middle of lockdown, here you are in your front room in front of a, a computer screen. If you this very night came to the Lord Jesus Christ, asked him to save you, asked him to forgive you, asked him to be your shepherd. I think that would be a wonderful thing, truly. Well, that's me done. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll pass back over to, to Roger now. Yeah, thanks ever so much, Joe. That's very helpful. Well, let me round things off. First of all, again, a hearty thanks for joining us. And again, next week, God willing, one hour earlier, seven o'clock um, next week. Uh, don't forget, if you'd like the little booklet, um, Trust in Christ or Why Doesn't God Stop the Trouble or the New Testament, get in touch or get in touch with um, 10 of those if uh, you'd like to purchase the books. But I want to close with a couple of prayers. First prayer that you could pray if you've never truly trusted Jesus Christ as your shepherd, the one who laid down his life for us. Uh, A prayer you could pray if you want him to forgive you and live within your life. And then a prayer for us all. Yes, but specifically the Donigalis. Heavenly Father, I want to just thank you so much that though I have sinned, Still, you loved me and Jesus came into the world and eventually went to a cross and carried my wrong on himself. Thank you that he died for me. Thank you that he rose from the dead. I ask you now, please, to forgive me by your spirit. Come and live within me. Please become my Lord and savior and help me to follow you day by day. For I pray in Jesus name. Amen. And Father, we do thank you for the Donigarnis, for David, for Jan, whom we didn't see, but um, for Hannah, whom we did. We thank you for Amy and Daniel and Josh. And we pray for that whole family, Lord, that you'd really bless them and give great grace. We heard that word many times. Strength and love from above. Great grace for every situation. Bless them. 
draw them very close to yourself and make them a great blessing to others as they have been to us tonight. And for all of us, Lord, we have different needs, different situations, but we commit the rest of this day, this weekend and the coming week to you. We ask, Lord, in this terrible time of uh, a pandemic that you would be merciful all over the world. Lord, there are dreadful situations, but we pray you'd be merciful and prove and demonstrate your love by drawing near to people. We ask for a quick resolution to this terrible scourge on society. But, Lord, may we as a nation turn increasingly to yourself and know your help. So, Father, thank you for this evening together. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you all.